today on Ag News Daily. Actually, uh, was steady to improve on the rally, which is not that's not a typical move by any means. So, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to another week of podcast from Ag News Daily. I'm Mike Pearson, co-host of this podcast. Driving the ship with me today, as always, is Ms. Delaney Howell. Delaney, how you doing today? I am doing pretty great, Mike. I've actually got some big news to share with folks on the podcast. Yes, today. I was going to lead it into oh, you, but okay. go ahead, go ahead, jeez. <laughs> I was just so excited. What's the big news, Delaney Howell? I couldn't get over it. Well, so I got asked by the Iowa Farm Bureau Association to guest host their podcast called the Iowa Farm Bureau Spokesman Speaks. So that actually just the first episode got released today talking about the livestock industry, focusing very specifically on the livestock industry. So, yeah, I'm, ver- I'm very excited. It's basically, if you've seen the spokesman, or if you've read the spokesman, it's basically the spokesman in a podcast variety. So I'm very excited. Fantastic. So if you do not subscribe to the spokesman, or if you do subscribe, you just want to listen to it while you're traveling to or from work, or perhaps doing chores out in the feed wagon, Go ahead and download it. And Delaney, say it one more time. What's it called and where can listeners find it? Absolutely. It's called The Spokesman Speaks, and you can find it pretty much in any other podcasting device. Whatever you're listening to us on, you can likely find it on that device as well. Or you can always listen to it online if you head to iowafarmbureau.com slash podcasts. It will be there too. But I encourage you to share your feedback with me. I'm trying to help the Iowa Farm Bureau enhance their presence in the podcasting field and excited to host it with them. So... Awesome. Well, congratulations, Delaney. That's very cool. Thank you. I'm very excited. Now, it's time to come back to Earth, though, and you are now on the Ag News Daily Podcast, which means you've got to bring us up to speed on some ag news. What are the headlines that are really in your brain today? Well, on Friday at the NCBA convention, Administrator Wheeler spoke to the National Cattlemen's Convention folks, spoke to the crowd there, And he made a couple of comments that I think are very important to the business of agriculture. One of those was commenting on the way that the 10th Circuit Court ruled on some of those refinery exemption waivers, specifically those three we've mentioned on the podcast before. He said to the audience that this has the potential of completely changing the small refinery program, assuming that these waivers continue on and that other... other courts uh, find them invalid in other parts of the country. And so he said, we've been working diligently at the EPA to take a look at what that means for small refiners, and the agency is going to have a decision soon. Don't know exactly what that means, but my hope in reading between the lines is that they're finally going to offer some clarification on how exactly these refinery, these small refinery exemption waivers are granted in the first place. Yeah, and, you know, one way they can make refiners work under this program is to, like, I don't know, follow the law (laughs) and blend or buy RINs credits as needed so they're in compliance. And I've got a feeling, Glenn, it's interesting you brought that up, particularly that conversation with Administrator Wheeler, because we did have a report from Reuters earlier today taking a look at renewable uh, fuel vouchers or or 
coupons, the RINs is what they're called, the, uh, basically the credits, I guess is the word, that refiners can buy in lieu of blending biofuels. Now, as recently as two years ago, RINs were trading just shy of a dollar a piece, which meant if you weren't going to blend a biofuel, you had to buy the RINs to compensate for what you should have blended up to that you know, E10 level for most refiners. Then all of the small refinery exemptions started going out. The value of RINs cratered, and they cratered until that court decision you referred to, which happened on January 24th. At that point, RINs were trading at around a dime apiece, so almost 90 cents less than they were trading just two years ago. However, from then until now, so not quite a month, just about three weeks, um, prices have nearly doubled. RINs are now trading around 19 cents because refiners are going, oh boy, it looks like we are going to have to buy these things. It's spurring more demand in the RINs marketplace, which is helping drive prices higher. So if the small refiners are going to be expected to follow the law, they've kind of missed the opportunity to buy RINs at a discount. So we're probably going to hear more belly aching as we get into the summer and these SREs start to be sought again by the refining community. So it's it's a chicken before the egg thing. I think we're going to have more complaints, but like you say, we're going to have to wait and hear how the court rules on all of these things going forward. You would have thought that those, we'll call them small refiners, would have thought ahead and thought, eh, maybe I'll buy a couple exemption waivers just in case this all dismantles again. Right. Well, not exemption waivers, but the rents. Maybe right, stock up on rents when they're trading at a dime, and uh, then you know you got them in your pocket. You can always resell them as a secondary market for them. And I, you know, we don't know the statistics on who may have done that. That very well likely could have taken place. Um, but we do know that that prices have have nearly doubled just in the past three weeks. So. The demand is out there, or at least it's coming back into that marketplace, and the higher-priced RINs get, the more competitive it becomes for these refiners to blend ethanol. So that's, that's perhaps a, a plus for ethanol as we look out longer term into 2020. Absolutely. And I guess looking into 2022, one of the other comments that Wheeler acknowledged to the audience was that if we did have a Democratic president and or Democratic House or uh, I guess we're already ruled by the House, Democrats in the House, but if we turned our Senate over and had a Democratic Senate and or President for 2020, there is the possibility, of course, that a lot of the things like WOTUS and the small refiner exemption waivers, etc., some of the rollbacks we've seen during the Trump administration, it's very possible and very plausible that we see those quickly turn around again as a new Democratic President could step into office. That's a really good point, and I think that highlights the necessity to get this new WOTUS rule out there and tested in the courts here before the 2020 election, just so it's it's done. Because once it's on paper, then it would have to be turned over by a court like the, sim the last one was, and that gets harder to do if it is written and carved in stone, which it isn't yet, but I know the EPA, the comment period is open now, I believe. I don't have that in front of me, but uh, WOTUS is in the process of becoming a, a real deal, a, a new WOTUS, an updated WOTUS, I should specify. Yes, absolutely. Well, I had just another piece of information. It's not huge news, Delaney. I'm sure you are well aware of all of this. Again, this is coming from the NCBA Cattle Convention last week. The Vice President of Research and Risk Management at Cattlefax, Mike Murphy, gave a little presentation. And amongst the things he noted, he said that corn and soybean acres are probably going to increase 
as we look ahead to 2020. He thinks corn plantings are going to be up 4 million acres, so there'll be about 94 million acres. Bean acres, he's anticipating 83 million acres planted. He figures we're going to see a price range of spot corn between 350 to $4 a bushel, so down a little bit from 2019. Again, weather is the wild card in all of this. And also, he said that it's going to be huge the role that trade plays in 2020. There's strong demand for beef at home. We've talked about that on this podcast for the past six months. It was uh, reiterated by Kevin Good, who's uh, the president of industry relations there at Cattlefax, and he thinks that if we can get some decent demand spurred overseas, we could see some factors come together to uh, to see the, the cattle cutout prices rise another $3 during the year, up to about 222 bucks per hundredweight. So that would be bullish news there for, uh, for our cattle feeding friends. Yeah, I've got to say, unfortunately, a lot of the producers I talked to after the cattle facts seminar in New or-, or in uh, Phoenix, San Antonio, I'm getting all my, my cities mixed up. After it was over last week, I had a lot of folks that basically shared that some of the cattle facts information and predictions didn't seem like anything earth shattering. It didn't really feel like they were making any forecasts, if you will. Mm. Well, I mean, that's that's a pretty specific forecast, a $3 increase in that beef one is, cutouts uh, yes. over the next year. But, but you know, everybody's, I didn't hear it, so I, I have no insight to offer on that. But, uh, you know, that's, that's interesting. It is. It is interesting. Let's see. Another thing that is interesting is the, well, I guess it's not super interesting, but it is definitely worth noting the president's fiscal budget for 2021. He has put in about $25 billion for a new, quote, revitalizing rural America grant, which would include high-speed internet, transportation projects such as bridges and roadways, etc. And uh, the total budget request that he put in so far for specifically some internet broadband and, and grant applications there was about $250 million for fiscal year 20 and for fiscal year 2021, $25 billion. So we're seeing a drastic increase there in the money going to, I guess, revitalize rural America. It's a very fitting name for it. It is, and I think we ought to mention that budget with a note of caution. That is the budget just proposed by the Trump administration, the executive branch. It's probably dead on arrival. Uh, Congress right. isn't likely to take it up. They might, like you say, take bits and pieces from it. Perhaps revitalizing rural America will be a piece of it. But uh, as it is, it's basically just kind of a kind of a stick drawing in some sand and uh, could be wiped away at any moment. So, you know, there's it's neat to see the rural America at least has caught the president's eye. And uh, that's been incorporated into the budget. Yeah, I think it's uh, always noteworthy when we in the quote-unquote flyover states get some recognition from folks out in D.C. Oh, absolutely. Well, speaking of recognition, agriculture typically gets quite a bit of recognition at the various global grain conferences. These happen around the world. There's Global Grain Europe. There's a Global Grain Asia conference, in fact. And typically, this is the spot for a lot of uh, stakeholders in the ag industry to get together to chat about what the forecast, the outlook for the grain markets look like in those particular areas. In this case, Asia. This conference is, well, was going to be in Singapore, and it was expected to be here very shortly. I don't have the, uh, the dates on hand as to when it was, but the organizers announced today that they are going to delay that conference three months 
because of the outbreak of coronavirus, they have not yet picked new dates. They say it's going to be at least three months. They will delay this conference as they wait to see what happens with coronavirus and its spread. So we'll see if they can get coronavirus under control or get a better handle on it, I suppose. Mm -hmm. Then we will see the Global Grain Conference happen in Singapore in at least three months from now. Yeah, and I think we also need to note, too, that China is also on high alert as of lately to also address their avian influenza outbreak. Mike, they're just having a rough time over there, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah. Between uh, the African swine fever outbreak, this coronavirus outbreak, and now the H5N1 avian influenza that broke late last week. Mm -hmm. Yeah, China's uh, kind of facing the triple threat there. And I think that kind of feeds into my next piece of news, Lainey, actually, which is that, of course, over the past uh, 10 days, which ended on Friday, I believe, of the Lunar New Year holiday, um, production in China was effectively at a standstill. That includes animal feed production. Well, China announced earlier today that feed production across China has restarted today, and uh, operations in China are now reaching just about 50% capacity. Um, This matters because as we round out the week uh, late last week, shortages were becoming well-known in rural parts of the country, and uh, basically this was starting to really hurt growth potential for livestock in rural China. So we were starting to see, even though they were rebuilding their hog herds, they've been working on growing their poultry flocks, this lack of or perceived lack of feed availability was starting to really hammer those growth targets. But now it sounds as though those plants are getting back online and uh, we should start seeing Chinese demand for feed grains you know, come back to at least a level somewhat similar to where it was two weeks ago before all these plants were shuttered for the holiday and the coronavirus outbreak. All right. Well, do you have any other news stories for us, Delaney Howell? You know what? I think I'm all out of news for today, Mike. Should we hop over and chat about the commodity markets, which, of course, are sponsored by our partners at agmarket.net? We shall indeed. And before we get to talk to our good friend Matthew Bennett from agmarket.net, let's see where prices ended for the day. In the corn market, the March contract dropped one and three quarters cents to close at three eighty one and three quarters. May down two cents, finishing at three eighty six and a half. In soybeans, March up two and a quarter, closing the day at eight eighty four and a quarter. May up two and a quarter as well, to close at eight ninety seven and a quarter. Over in the wheat pit, Chicago wheat March down six and three quarter cents, closing at five. 52 even. The May down five and a quarter, finishing at 551 and a half. Looking over at the livestock markets, we've got mixed trade in the cattle complex with live cattle lower and feeder cattle mixed. April live cattle down $1.1250 at 11867 half. June down 82 and a half, finishing at 110.45. In feeder cattle, the April contract was up two and a half cents, closing at 137.5250. The May down 12 and a half, finishing at 139.45. And weakness again in lean hogs. The April contract dropped $1.1750 to finish at $65.0750. The May down 45 cents, closing at $74.40. Quick look over at the dairy market. In Class 3 milk today, the February contract dropped a penny, closing at $17.05. The March down 14 cents, wrapping it up at $17.28. Without further ado, let's delve deeper into these numbers with our friend Matt Bennett. Today we are talking to Matt Bennett of agmarket.net for today's Hashtag Market Monday episode. Matt, how you doing today? I'm doing really good. How are you guys doing? 
Well, not too shabby. And Matt, I know you guys just got off of an exciting conference last week with the agmarket.net conference there in Council Bluffs. How did things go for you? You know, it was a good first meeting. It was the first one that we'd had, of course, uh, with this last year being our, our first year together as a group. And so we decided we wanted to have a, a meeting and, you know, just trying to pick out a location, you know, was uh, you know, it was uh, half the battle, but we decided on Council Bluffs because you know some of the folks would be able to fly into Omaha. Uh, you know, and it, it was a it was a nice uh, group. Basically, we all ran through kind of what our forte is, and then uh, we had a couple of guests there. Drew Lerner was there, and then um, Betsy Gibbon was there, and they both just kind of uh, Drew gave us a really good idea of what uh, he sees as far as the weather pattern currently, as well into the summer. It was it was very informative. We really enjoyed that. So and then you know we went across what our uh, what our app does. So uh, everyone seemed to be really happy with it. I think that our first meeting was probably as good as we could have expected. Yeah, that is really really cool to see. It's great to to have growers getting out there, Matt. When you were talking to folks, what was the general consensus? What was their overall take on their local market conditions given this challenging year? You know, I think a lot of folks this time of year, uh, my experience has always been that there's uh, certainly an optimism. I feel like that the optimism over the last three or four years has maybe uh, uh, kind of eroded. Um, you know, and this year, I guess, with a lot of folks that I've talked to, uh, there's certainly concern, uh, you know, that if this, for instance, phase one uh, trade deal uh, doesn't end up providing a lot of new uh, demand, export demand that, you know, you could be looking at lackluster markets. You're looking at South America with a really uh, big crop coming at us for soybeans. You know, obviously with corn, uh, there's a lot to be known yet because we don't know uh, what that spring crop will look like. But by all means, uh, it looks like uh, the supply is definitely uh, adequate uh, at the very least, uh, given the kind of demand that we're looking at due to ASF, you know, and uh, of course, uh, looking at uh, this coronavirus situation that we've been dealing with lately. Yeah, and I think that's the general sentiment I've been hearing as well, Matt, is just waiting to see what the markets do. Will they ever justify their numbers for production? And obviously one of the places that they do that is in the WASD reports. Tomorrow we've got another one coming out here. Are we expecting to get anything major as far as headlines go, or is it supposed to be a neutral or non-event? Yeah, I mean, typically your February report isn't even something that we look at very closely. You know, it's just kind of a uh, one of those reports that uh, typically gets you to raise your eyebrow at the most. But this year, uh, a lot of eyes were going to be on what's the USDA going to do? How are they going to handle this phase one trade deal? Now, they said that they are going to take into account on a broader level, you know, that we've signed this trade deal, but there will be no specifics as far as commodities are concerned. I don't know exactly how to take that. I think that there's other people in the trade are the same as me. They're very interested to see if there's going to be adjustments made. Now, if we come in here tomorrow and we find out there's been no adjustments made for corner beans, I don't know that anybody's going to be terribly surprised, but I can assure you uh, that anybody that typically doesn't watch the February report uh, this is a year where they probably should uh, and, and will be watching a little bit closer than what they uh, usually do. So with that being said, Matt, when you take a look at the, the price movements we've seen here over the past 10 days, let's talk about the corn market. First of all, past five days have seen a, a pretty decent consolidation. We've been range bound here over the last, oh gosh, since about the geez, start of February. Is 
what numbers do we have to keep an eye out tomorrow to see this market move strongly one direction or another? Well, you know, the first number that we always want to take a look at is, you know, what does um, – what does what does your carryout look like? What does your stocks use number look like? You know, last month USDA at 1.892. I think a lot of folks were very disappointed, a little frustrated. They made some very interesting adjustments in that they lowered last year's feed and residual usage, uh, which which got your feed and residual usage to kind of streamline a heck of a lot better because essentially they were telling us previously that we had 5.618 billion bushels of feed and residual usage, and then we were going to go down 343 million bushels for this year. Uh, and then the baseline number suggested we were going back up 500 for next year. I think a lot of folks were scratching their heads, especially going down on feed usage when you're up 2% on uh, you know grain-consuming animal units. But uh, uh, bottom line is they've got that streamlined a little bit better now. I think a lot of folks are looking forward are going to, are going to want to see what are they going to do with exports, what are they going to do with ethanol usage, and Again, I don't see any huge adjustments here. I think when you start to see adjustments, it's going to be more along the lines of your quarterly stock numbers. Uh, people are going to be watching very closely to see what usage looks like. Low test weight corn is not typically something that, uh, you know, it feeds as well or goes through an ethanol plant as well. Your, your conversion factors are very likely to not be near as good as what uh, we normally assume. And right now, the USDA is assuming normal uh, conversion factors. And Matt, when you look into the soybean markets, they have, I mean, I guess you could make the argument that uh, perhaps they've also been somewhat range bound, but really it looks like they have potentially put in a low for the March contract. Is that what you're suggesting to folks too, that yes, indeed, we have put in a low there at the 870 or 868 level? Yeah, for the time being, it certainly looks like uh, the bean market found a little bit of footing last week. You know, we were pretty concerned that if we if we actually busted through some of the support we were looking at, that uh, uh, this bean market could get, could get even uglier yet. The interesting thing is that a couple of times now we've had a 60-plus cent rally. Uh, people are assuming that uh, maybe we'll get another rally like that. I don't know that I would be too quick to assume that. Uh, while we found some support, uh, it's going to take a little bit of uh, uh, money to come into this market. And I don't know that anybody wants to come in and buy uh, soybeans whenever, you know, there's whispers of 130 million metric ton, uh, you know, crop out of, out of Brazil. I mean, if that's the case, then there's no question that um, it's going to keep a lid on prices, especially with some of the demand implications we've got coming out of China. Well, and that's the question, I think, Matt, as, as growers are taking a look at their balance sheets, as they're meeting with lenders this time of year, you know, we do have, well, it's a lot of old crop corn still on hand. We do have old crop beans still on hand. With prices, let's stick with the bean market here, prices being where they're at, the bearishness of this coronavirus, now the H5N1, bird flu spreading in China, as well as African swine fever, plus the potential of a big crop out of South America. Are, are you advising guys to be fairly aggressive with cash sales at this point in the year, and then maybe look at re-ownership on the board or how are you handling the situation for guys that still do have old crop beans uh, to sell? You know, I think with the bean situation, uh, the, the very interesting thing that we were watching very closely when we got this last uh, rally that was pushing 70 cents is that the basis actually uh, was steady to improved 
on the rally, which is not, that's not a typical move by any means. And so, you know, we were pushing really hard to get uh, some of those sales made. Now I know not everyone got all their beans sold. I totally understand uh, the hesitancy because anytime you get even in the vicinity uh, and you start hearing people talk about $10 beans, everyone starts to get a little bit uh, cold feet situation and they don't want to sell beans. I'm, I'm understanding there. So I know there's a few beans left out there yet. The basis is still pretty decent for beans. I think the only thing you can do is look at your individual farm and say, can I make money uh, you know, where we're at today, because, um, you know, I'm not counting on a, a larger scale rally on the bean market. It's not that I'm uh, terribly bearish, but for all the reasons that you already mentioned, it's pretty tough to get outside money, to get managed money to come in here and try to buy this market. And so uh, I don't think that we can expect that that would happen. I'm concerned, you know, to uh, touch on a couple of points you made early. Uh, you know, I'm concerned whenever I look at your uh, crop insurance prices because, uh, yeah, we're talking to bankers right now. 921 beans and, uh, you know, 393 corn aren't exactly home runs. Uh, but at the same time, we have to be cautious as to uh, uh, we got to look at the whole situation because this year your fertilizer prices today and your diesel fuel prices today are cheaper than what they were a year ago. So 393 corn actually pays for more inputs than what 393 corn paid for last year. And Matt, as you look at the wheat market, let's talk Chicago here. I mean, really, it's lost, you know, 30, 40, 50 cents since its high of almost touching $6. Are we probing for a low anytime soon here, or is there further risk to the downside? Yeah, the wheat market is so hard to figure out. Uh, yes, we pushed up on the six dollars. You know, and so whenever you go out and you look at July wheat at five fifty-two, um, some folks may say, "Well, it doesn't look very attractive to me." But I think if you were, to, there's times here in the last calendar year that if you'd have told them they could lock some five fifty-two wheat in, they would have been very happy to do so. So once again, we have to uh, not try to figure out exactly where the market's going to go, but try to figure out where the market is today what does it mean for me and my operation and i and i know that most of the producers we talk to um they actually feel like 552 can work for them and so um you know i don't know that i would be uh, terribly friendly the tough thing about wheat you know is that obviously uh usa and world perspective we still have all kinds of wheat especially when you look at your carry levels as compared to corn and beans i know it's always been that way uh, but it's a different uh, different discussion and so you know, I can't get super fired up about wanting to own weed in here. But at the same time, the funds have shown a little bit of an interest here in the last several months to own wheat. Uh, and I don't know that they're going to completely go away from that. Well, man, I want to jump us over and talk a little bit about the livestock market, specifically live cattle. We've seen a $10 pullback here over the last two weeks in that April live cattle contract. A lot of this, it seemed, started with the fear of the coronavirus spreading in China, concerns about domestic demand starting to slow down. What's your take overall when you look at the cattle complex? Is this just a, a little bit of a bump in the road that we should be able to rebound from, or are we seeing this slide that could be in place through the uh, remainder of the first, perhaps second quarter of 2020? Yeah, I think the, the thing for me, as far as the cattle uh, is concerned, that concerns me, whenever you get on farther out, you know, you get out into the June and the August timeframes, you've got, you know, a eight and a nine dollar inverse from uh, the April. Uh, the guys that I talk to and gals that I talk to can make money at $118, $120 fats, but, you know, uh, talking about $110 fats, that's a totally different discussion. And so, you know, I think the assumption all along was going to be that your demand farther out 
is something that most people uh, wanted to assume was going to show up. And so some of your deferred contracts, you know, for instance, in the hogs have been awfully attractive uh, here in the last few months. But whenever I look at cattle, clear on out to December at only $117, uh, that isn't exactly a terribly attractive price. And so um, I think the assumption, again, was that we were going to see a lot of demand on farther out. Uh, you know, obviously we wiped out a ton of hogs in China uh, and their demand actually for beef has been rather robust in the last several years, especially as they get more money in their pocket with the middle class. Uh, you've got to assume that they're going to be in buying cattle at some point, but I am concerned right now. I wouldn't say that I'm bearish. I certainly don't want to be selling at these price levels if I can't make money, if I'm not going to be terminal for another three to four months. I want to kind of give this a little bit of time, uh, but at the same time, if I'm going to be terminal here soon, I want to be uh, at least locking something in or putting a floor into the market. And Matt, since you mentioned the lean hog market there, I'm going to go ahead and take us into that market as well. Looking at the February contract, there are quite a few gaps that have been put in the chart there. Will we go back and fill some of those before the end of February, or does the lean hog market feel comfortable trading at these lower end ranges? <laughs> yeah, I wish I could figure out the lean hog market, you know, from one day to the next. You know, obviously there's been a lot of volatility. A lot of swings in the market, but uh, you know I don't see us making any huge uh, moves lower by any means. At the same time, on your front month futures, I don't see any big moves higher. I don't know that you're going to have any money come in and want to buy hogs with all the uncertainty that we see. I think whenever you uh, are going to look for any action here, it's probably going to be more so in the April. Uh, looking at $65 hogs. I do think that uh, uh, while there's a lot of concern right now, um, for me, from my pr perspective, I feel like that's actually a pretty decent value, especially whenever I look at mouths to feed. And I know that we're very concerned about coronavirus. You know, we're obviously concerned about demand, but at the same time, you've still got 1.4, 1.5 billion people to feed in any given country, and they like to eat pork chops. So the uh, bottom line is you're going to have a fair amount of demand, and, and I don't think that that demand is going to take forever to show up either. All right. Well, all things to keep an eye on. We'll be tuned in tomorrow for the release of the WASDI report. But Matt from agmarket.net, tell us how can our listeners get a hold of you if they want to pick your brain a little further or uh, look at managing some risk? You know, just uh, go to our website at agmarket.net, and then our office number is 815-665-0462. Feel free to give me a call anytime. Fantastic. Matt Bennett, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today on Market Monday. Yeah, thanks for having me. Well, again, there, a big thank you to Matt Bennett of agmarket.net. Always great to have him on the podcast, Mike. It always is, always fascinating insight. It is an interesting week as we begin to care about the February WASDI report yeah. for the first time in, oh gosh, quite a while. But if listeners want to get caught up on other issues they care about, they can catch up on all of our past Ag News Daily issues by going to our website. Visit us at agnewsdaily.com. You can check us out there. You can check out all the other podcasting members of the Global Ag Network. And you can always interact with us on social media. Visit us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Just search for Ag News Daily, and we shall appear as if by magic. Delaney Howell, with that, shall we let the listeners go? Let's let them go.